and take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we'll pick up this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open or your Bibles on, uh, would you stand with me and let's read verses 11 through 14 together. Anybody else see that? Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 11, you'll find these similar words. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, give us an understanding of your word. Father, I pray that you would use it to penetrate, to speak to us today, Father. Lord, ultimately, so that Christ will be magnified, and Lord, this world will be impacted, Lord, by your grace and your truth. And Lord, use it to bring glory to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. The past several weeks, we've been in the midst of this series on the gospel and hope. We've, we've looked and we've tried, I've tried to do this fairly strategically because we're following the pattern that is outlined in our vision statement. It's, it's on the back of your bulletin, but um, you can read it there. You can um, just just listen. But here's, here's our vision statement. Bethel Baptist Church, we exist to make mature disciples for Christ here, there, and everywhere. And so what we've tried to do is talk about how the gospel brings hope, first of all, to our lives, and then how we flesh that out and how, we, how the Father can use us to bring hope to a multitude of people. And so as we begin that, our vision starts with the people who are in this room. Uh, we want the people who are members of Bethel Baptist Church to become mature disciples for Christ. We have a responsibility to make sure that we are growing to become the people that God has called us to, who's called us to be. And so how do we do that? Well, we do that in a number of ways. We, we do that by, by doing what you're doing this morning, by attending church and, and worshiping together with your brothers and sisters in Christ letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You do that by getting involved in a small group, uh, investing your life with a, a small group of other people that you can just begin to share your burdens and begin to love on one another. You do that with a, with a quiet time, where you invest time spending reading the Scriptures and praying. Uh, you can use our, our new ministry, Right Now Media, where you can get signed up on that. There's all sorts of Bible studies that you can do there. You could do that by reading the scriptures. We've got a, pre, a, a, a plan out where we're reading through uh, most of the Bible this year. You could join us on Sunday nights. That's all we're doing is just kind of discussing what the scriptures are saying to us. But then we can't stop there. Now, I want y'all to grasp this. Everybody needs to make sure you grasp this. You cannot be a mature disciple of Christ if at some point you're not thinking in your minds, okay, 
If I'm going to be mature, then I've got to begin to think about others. Because the Great Commission is commanded to all of us that we're to go and make disciples. And so if we're going to be mature disciples, at some point we've got to begin to think about others and how we can impact their lives. And so here's what we said. One of the best places that you can make a difference is the place where you work. Man, it's encouraging to hear Jeremy to say, hey, I, I want to pray for my co-worker, Jane. Because remember what we said? Over 90,000 hours you're going to spend at your job. If you come to church two hours a week your entire life, and you live to be about 75, you're going to go to church about 8,000 hours. Okay? So where, where do you have the greatest opportunity to make a difference for the kingdom? place where you work and so you you begin to live out your faith you begin to pray for your co-workers you begin to think about ways in which you can you can minister to them and then we go out into the community we, we're concerned about our neighbors we're concerned uh, about those who the lord has put right around us in our community that we can we can begin to pray for them we build relationships with them in different ways in which we can we can minister to them corporately we're, we're going to do that through things like uh serve the city when we go and and we're passing out soup next week. And, and in March, we're going to help with the, with the school and uh, help clean up the school there and, and possibly help clean up the cemetery here in town. And, and so we, we're going and we're trying to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Next week, piggybacking on what Rose said, is Valentine's Day weekend. I intentionally saved this sermon um, for, for Valentine's Day weekend. But... Man, the greatest place you're going to make disciples is in your family. If there's ever a, 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 a situation where we need to understand how the gospel brings hope, it's in the context of our family. And so uh, we'll look at that next week. But this week, we're looking at this vision where God's called us to make mature disciples for Christ, and we're going to leave here for a moment, but now we're going to focus on there and everywhere. So right now, Bethel Baptist Church, we're taking the gospel to three different countries outside of the United States of America. We have our partnership in Toronto, and so Toronto's in the country of Canada, although it's still in North America. And so we're trying to impact Canada. We have our partnership with Ryan Epps uh, Children's Home in Haiti. And then I've just booked airline tickets this week uh, to, to go back to Indonesia, trying to reach the solar people with the gospel in Indonesia. So we'll be going there in April. And, and the reason I'm able to do that is partly because of generosity of some of the people who are in this room right now. And so I say that to say this. Let's not take for granted what the Father has allowed us to do in Bethel Baptist Church. Let's not take for granted all that the Father has allowed us to be a part of. But at the same time, I don't want you just to sit on the sidelines and say, you know, well, our church is doing good ministry, but I'm just going to sit back and relax. Because the truth is, there's a place for every one of us to get plugged in with what the Father is doing in our lives. You know, Henry Blackaby, in his study experience of God, he said, he said this, and it's just one of those statements that's going, to, that's going to stay with me the rest of my life. Find out where God is working and get in on it. Okay, and so that's my heart and desire for everybody in this room. Find out where the Holy Spirit of God is moving and then you get in on what he's doing there. Now, as we get into this text, I want you to see this idea that the gospel is supposed to go to the entire world. Now, we know this, but I'm just going to walk through it in two minutes, and so just, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but just just make sure everybody understands this. All right, verse 11. Now, notice the, the language of verse 11. 
Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, you see, he uses that word we. He's not talking about the Ephesians. He's talking about him, his associates, his, his Jewish brethren. That's the people he's talking about. He said, we have this inheritance. We have this salvation. It, it's something that has gone to the Jews first. But now in verse 13, the text changes and says this. He says that you, the Ephesians, the, uh, the Gentiles, those who were not a part of the Jewish nation, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying there is, is that the gospel is for all people. It doesn't matter. It's not an American gospel. It's not a Jewish gospel. It's none of that. The gospel is for all people of all time, of all nationalities, of all tribes, and it is to go to the entire world. But now here's what I want you to see. And, and it would be the first point on your, on your bulletin, on your uh, outline. What should compel us to take the gospel to the whole world? What should cause a people that would, would basically sit in comfort in, in Bethel, North Carolina, what would cause us to say, you know what, I want to take the gospel to the entire world? Our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ. Tim Keller, he made this point this weekend. Excuse me, I've never really thought about it this way. But Tim Keller said that this word hope is misleading in the English language. Think about it. When we typically use the word hope in a sentence, we mean something like this. I'm not sure if this is going to happen, but man, I really hope it does. Y'all understand that? That's how we use, we, we use that sentence. You know, I, I'm not sure if this person's ever going to make it home from the hospital, but man, I sure hope it I'm not sure if the Falcons is going to win the Super Bowl, but I really hope they do. Can I get a witness? Uh, we, we say it, but we, we're not sure it's going to happen. That's not the idea behind this, this word in the original language. It's not this idea that we hope it's going to happen. It's this idea that I can say with certainty, this is what's going to happen in the future. The author of Hebrews in 11, chapter 11, verse 1, he says that faith is the assurance. It is the guarantee. It is, it is something you can write down in stone. It is the assurance, the guarantee of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. So therefore, when we speak of this hope, here's what we are implying. It's that we have such a great conviction of what is yet to come that it changes how we live in this present world. I am so convinced of what is yet to come that the Bible, it in, according to the Scriptures, that it changes my thoughts, it changes my attitudes, it changes my actions. And if you follow Paul's line of thinking here, he speaks in terms of our salvation being in the moment. In him we have obtained this inheritance. You see in verse 11, we, we've already got this inheritance. But it's also in the future tense. He speaks of those who were the, the first two to hope, in, to hope in Christ. And then in verse 13, it says you were, uh, you were sealed with the promise to Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so in other words, the Holy Spirit would be the down payment, he would be the guarantee that we're going to get something in the future. Think about it this way. The salvation is that we, we're certainly saved. We have this. That there's a sense in our bodies have not been redeemed yet. There's a sense in there's coming a day I ain't going on Weight Watchers any longer. Can I get a witness? There's a sense in I'm going to have hair one day. I'm not going to struggle with, with any kind of sickness. 
I'm not there yet. That's that's the ultimate redemption. That's when Jesus is going to return or He calls me home. I'm going to have a glorified body. I'm not going to struggle with sin any longer. And what the Scriptures are saying is, it's not just that we hope this is going to happen. We have this guarantee that this is going to happen in our life. And because we have this guarantee, it should change how we live our lives in this moment. Are you with me? What we know to be certain of the future changes how we live in the moment. Tim Keller gave this illustration. He said, so imagine you take two people. Any volunteers? I need two people. You don't have to get out your seat. Stay right there. All right, Junior and Don. I got Junior and Don. We're going to put Junior in room A, Don in room B. Same environment, same temperature, same humidity. Everything's the same. We're going to give them the same job. You got to screw these uh, these nuts on these bolts 10 hours a day. You get finished with this one, just move on to the next one. 10 hours a day. You got both, got, both got the same job. So I go to Junior. Junior, at the end of one year, you're going to get $10,000. I go to Don. Don, at the end of one year, you're going to get $1 billion. But now they don't know that. <laughs> After about a day, Junior's going to be talking to Don, you know what, man? I don't think I like you. This is terrible. This is boring. I think I'm going to quit. You know what Don's going to say? It's not that bad. I don't mind this at all. Why? Because of what he knows is going to happen at the end greatly affects what he's doing. And when you have this great hope of what you're going to get in the end, it changes how you live in the here and now. Just, 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 just think about it just for a moment. What would cause somebody to, to give generously? I mean, I'm not talking 10%. I'm talking, what would cause somebody to give 20, 30% of their income to mission? It's this great hope that, that everything I have in this world is going to pass away. If I, want to, if I really want to invest my finances, I lay it up treasures in heaven. What would cause somebody who only has two weeks of vacation a year to take their weeks of vacation and instead of just staying home and doing nothing, they go to a, to a place like Haiti where they're not going to get much sleep and serve underprivileged kids. It's this hope that, that this world is, is not our home. What would cause somebody to sell everything they have, move halfway across the world and live among a people that don't like them or talk like them? It's this hope that we have in Christ. What would cause somebody like Jim Elliott or Lottie Moon or Karen Anderson who all... Uh, died for their faith, what would cause them to give their lives to Christ? See, we are certain of what the end holds, and we realize that there is nothing that we can sacrifice in this life that will not be far better in the life that is to come. So what compels us to say, I'll sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ, is this great hope that we have in Him. Does that make sense? And so therefore, what do we do? I really struggle because, man, when I think about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, what I wanted to say is, here's what you need to do. But in the end, I can't do that. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Paul moves in this text. If you were to keep reading, he gets down to uh, verse 15 and following. He begins to pray for the Ephesians. And so here's what I wanted you to Here's what I just asked of you. And, and, and I'm not saying, hey, just add this to your prayer list. 
I'm saying if, if you're really, seriously, you have this hope in Christ that uh, uh, you can't lose anything on here, it's not going to be better in, in the next life. I want you to diligently, genuinely begin to pray this prayer. And so I'm just going to break it down into three parts. He, he, gets it, he begins to pray for him, but specifically I want you to look at verses 18 and, and 19. And I want you to, three things, he, he prays. Now, now, verse 18 is kind of, it goes over the, the entire prayer. He, he says, I, I want the, the eyes of your heart to be in light. And so, in other words, he, he's praying for the Ephesians. I don't want you guys just to know truth. I don't want you to just to be able to comprehend something. I want it to be deep down. I want you to feel it. I want it to be in your bones. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened to this truth. And so here, was the, here would be the three things that I would ask you to pray. Father, open up my eyes to the reality of your hope. And you say, wait a minute, preacher. You just said we've got this great hope. Why do I need to pray for it? Because I know like Paul knows, there's a huge difference between you knowing in your mind that there's this great hope and you really, really believing it deep down within your bones. Because you see, if it never affects your heart, it will never cause you to go out into mission. It never makes a difference in your life. The greatest example of that is the gospel. There are multitudes of people in our culture. Man, you ask, man, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes. Uh, do you believe that he was resurrected three days later? Yes. Do you want to live your life for him? No. Just because you know the truth doesn't mean that it's impacted your life. And the same thing is true with this hope. Just because you know that there is, there is a life that is better, you need to pray, Father, would you grip my heart? Would you open my eyes that, that there's nothing that I can lose here that won't be replaced in a better way there? Father, open up my eyes. Open up my heart. And help me to really, really see this great hope that I have in Christ. Because you see, we, we could say that we have this great hope, but we still like live like this world is everything. We still live like this world is our heaven. We are more concerned that our children get a good education and a high-paying job than we are if they follow Christ. We have to realize that this world is not our home. Father, open up my eyes to the reality of this great hope. And now here's the second thing. Father, open up my eyes to the reality of your love for me. Now sure, I bet if, we were to, if I were to say, hey, let's stand up and sing Jesus Loves Me, about 95% of you could, could recite it. And then we'll go home and, and we'll, we'll struggle. Father, do you really care? Father, do you really love me? I, I feel like you, you've abandoned me. Mm. I am convinced, I wrote these words, I am convinced that the people who give and serve the most do so, not because they've been commanded, but because they've understood just how much God has loved them and He has compelled them to go out. I listened to a podcast this week by, by J.D. Greer, and he said, there's two foods I don't like. One's mayonnaise, one's raw tomatoes. He said, I don't care how many times you command me, I'm not going to eat a tomato sandwich. He said, if you're big enough, you might can make me eat a tomato sandwich. But I'm still not going to like it. Kind of like me and onions. You, you know, you, you can command me to eat onions all day long. 
raw onions, that is. And I, I'm just not going to do it. It's the same way with the Great Commission. If you look at it as only a command, you're never going to have a heart to go. But if you see what he says here, he says, Lord, I pray that you may open up their eyes to what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So in other words, uh, Father, open up their eyes so that they know just how much they are valued in your eyes. Let them know that they are an inheritance to you, that, that you love them with everything that you have. Let them know, Father, just how much you love them. See, if you understand just how much God loves you, it changes you from the inside out. I want you to see this. Look over in chapter 2. Look in verse 12. Speaking to the Ephesians here, he says, verse 12, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Have you guys ever been there? Why don't you have any hope? Because you are without God. It is the fact of the presence of God in your life is what gives you hope in your life. Now, I want you to stay with me. You know what was the one thing that Jesus did not have on the cross? Ah, he did not have the presence of God. The Father abandoned the Son. He had to in that moment for you and I. That's why he could cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, you realize that Jesus lost all hope so that you and I could have hope. That the Father abandoned the Son so that He could have us. You realize that Jesus lost hope so that we could have it. God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated so that He could one day treat us the way in which Jesus deserve to be treated. So we pray, Father, I can read it on a page of Scripture, I can read it in a book, but Lord, I need you to show me, I need you to open up my eyes, I need you to, to really just teach me just how great this love is. You do make it change how we view the rest of the world. And then you see this final thing in, back in Ephesians 1, it's in verse 19. So we pray that, that our eyes would be enlightened to what? to the greatness of your power. Lord, open up my eyes to the reality of your power given to us. The Bible describes it here. It's an, it's an immeasurable greatness of his, your power toward us who believe. It, it goes on to say, according to the, your great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We, we sing a song like that, very similar to that. The same power same power that raised him from the dead is the same power that lives in us. I love that song um, I th somebody sang it once by Zach Williams called Chain Breaker. It's, it, here's the course. If you've got pain he's a pain taker. If you feel lost he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving ha! 
He's a prison-shaking Savior. If you got chains, He's a chain breaker. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in us, it empowers us to live faithful lives to the Father. You know, and oftentimes when we think about the power of God, here's what we think about. Man, Bill, Billy Graham, man, that's the man, the power of God. Man, I read about Paul and I read about Moses and I, and I, and I read about um, some of the Old, Old Testament saints. Man, those guys had the power like Elijah. You know what I think the power of God is too? I think when a teenager lives faithful for Christ, I think that's evidence of the power of God in their life. I think when, when a man and woman, uh, through the trials and tribulations of marriage, when, when they stay together, uh, through thick and thin, that's the power of God in their life. I think it's the power of God when, when someone breaks a materialistic cycle in their life and they begin to, to give generously. It's the power of God when, when someone begins to put down their own needs and puts the need of others before themselves. Only the power of God can do things. You know what we, we say? And we struggle with this. And... Lord, I, would, I could believe in your power, but Lord, I've, I've asked you for this, and the Lord didn't do it. And I bet if I were to go around the room, I bet there's every one of us in here could say, Lord, I've asked you for this. It didn't turn out the way I wanted. Lord, I'm just not going to ask you. In the book Gospel by J.D. Greer that I've been reading, in fact, I share part of this, this fourfold prayer that he prays every week or every day. At the end of that prayer, he says, Pray this Father, help me to measure your compassion by the cross. If you ever think, Lord, Lord you didn't answer it the way I, I wanted it, Lord, I wanted this, but you didn't do it. In that moment, measure his compassion, measure his goodness to you, and not by the fact you didn't get what you want, but measure it by the fact that he loved you enough that he gave his life for you. And then, then Father, help me to measure your power by the resurrection. Your goodness by the cross, your power by the resurrection. His ways are not our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. Just because you didn't get what you as for in that moment do not, does not mean that you do not quit asking him in the days ahead. And it's the same truth. You can read the words on the page. Romans 8 is very clear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love. He's given us a spirit of power. He didn't call us to be timid. He called us to be bold. And you can read those words on the page all day long. But it's unless the Spirit of God opens up your eyes that you may know the emotional greatness of this power. You'll never walk in that power. And so we ask, and man, I, this encouraging me. I'm asking, I'm almost pleading. You make this a habit of your prayer life. Father, show these three areas in my own life. Father, Great hope, great love, great power. Lord, help us not to just know it intellectually. Help us to know it experientially. Help us to, to know it with every bit of our being. And Lord, when we 
and know it when we experience it, Lord, may it cause us to not begrudgingly go out, Lord, but willingly, wholeheartedly say, huh, I've been empowered, I've been emboldened, I have this great hope, now may I go. May I be like Isaiah and say, here I am. Send me. Lord, grip our hearts with these great truths. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.